All right, so as we study our, uh, continue our study of Genesis, we are going to see yet another big name change, right? We're only in the 32nd chapter of the whole Bible, and we've already seen, is it kind of echoing a little bit for you guys? It sounds like to me. But anyways, we're going to see another big name change, right? And names mean something, especially in those days, but even these days too. And uh, I've gone 28 years, right? Very long years, right? To some of you, right? Not just kidding. But uh, anyways, I just found out what my name means. I didn't know after 28 years. And um, earlier this week, I found out it means nobleman. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it's actually from uh, the Latin Patricius, uh, which means nobleman. And so I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, let me look up a few more names. So I looked up one of my daughter's names, and it means Eliana, which means my God has answered in Hebrew, which actually, that was very specific, uh, very um, on purpose, because we were wanting a baby, and uh, he, he answered very quickly. In fact, it was a two-for-one special that time. <laughs> and then we have Xavier, not ex-Xavier, Xavier, and it's, uh, it means a brother in the sense of pal derived from the Greek tr transliteration of the Hebrew, Xavier, a friend, pal, etc. We also have Helen. She shines in beauty from the Greek, Helene, uh, something that shines as a torch. And doesn't she? <laughs> her, her love for God shines as a torch. We also have Jeremy, a variant of Jeremiah. It's an English name meaning tall, handsome drink of water. <laughs> and it also means that God will exalt. <laughs> oh no, what does yours mean? It's a Welsh name. Marvin is a Welsh name. It means wisdom. Okay, we have another one that means wisdom here too. Uh, so we have a diminutive of Anna. Annie is a Hebrew name meaning gracious one. I have a lot of Hebrew names. We also have Howard, one who is homeward bound, based on homeward. Reminds me of that dog that came out in the 90s, or that uh, movie that came out in the 90s about the three dogs, you know, they got lost. Anyways, that's kind of what it means. Homeward bound. And then we also have Hannah. From the Hebrew, Hannah, Hannah means grace. We also have Sophie, a shortened form of Sophia. Sophie means wisdom, and Martin was just telling me that his name means wisdom also. Is there anyone else that would like to share what their, what their name is and what their name means? Does anyone else know what their name means? Yes. Our name is Kung Ki, and it's Chinese. Kung means always happy. Ki means what? Guy? Yeah, Oh, right, okay. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's so true because you are always so happy and jumpy. Oh, man. I would love to, like, you could, you could be, you could make so much money off of bottling your just pure, oh, man, everything. That's awesome. Energy, yes, that's the way I was looking for. Excellent. Well, let's see, let me sign in real quick. Perfect. And actually, I remember Anthony. He used to, I think, I don't know if this is, if he's still going to go for this. He just peeked around the corner like, like this. But uh, I guess he had told his uh, sisters uh, that he wanted to name his first daughter, was it Chlorine? Chlorine. Yeah, Chlorine, the most beautiful name in the world. But anyway, so speaking of names, now we're moving into one of the more whew, mysterious and perhaps weirder episodes in the Bible. 
where we'll see Jacob uh, given a new name to reflect his new destiny and nature. We'll also see, from a historic viewpoint, the birth of the nation of Israel and an ironic victory given by means of defeat, all in the same chapter. So if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to put a, a title on this. You could do, uh, let's see, Con Man Turned God Man. That would be a good one. All right, so Genesis chapter 32. You read, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when he saw them, Jacob said, This is God's camp. So he named that place Machanayim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead of himself to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, saying, saying, This is what you shall say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says the following, I have resided with Laban and stayed until now, and I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent messengers to tell my lord, so that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. Great news, right? And 400 men are with him. Mm. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks, the herds, and camels, into two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So, Let's take a pause here because there's a lot of very critical uh, things that we must notice here. So uh, upon Jacob's uh, you know, journey back to the land of Canaan, he, it, we read here that he's met by angels of God, right? In, the, in Hebrew, this would be Melachim Elohim, right? Well, I really want to take this opportunity because between verses 1 and 3, we have a unique opportunity to see uh, nearly side by side two variations for the word messengers or melachim, which uh, malach uh, is simply just a, a messenger, a singular, singular version, right? So when we add an im to uh, many words in Hebrew, it denotes multiple, like talmudim, yeludim, melachim. So in verse one, we read uh, that the messengers, or the messengers rather in verse one, are referring to heavenly messengers or angels, melachim, elohim. But in verse 3, we see that Jacob sends Melachim, messengers, to his brother Esau. The difference we would see in the Hebrew is that whenever a uh, name of God, whether it be Elohim, Yahweh, Yehovah, uh, whatever it is, if that's following the word for the messengers, uh, it's denoting a heavenly messenger being spoken of, like we see here. And that's one that's sent to divine a uh, to send us, uh, rather, sorry, to deliver a divine message or to give uh, and carry out a divine commandment. Now, this is interesting because there's a few exceptions of this. Uh, the prophets uh, Haggai and Malachi, right, Malachi, were also in the Bible called messengers of God, right, Melachim Elohim, uh, even though they were just merely humans like you and I. But besides just these very few uh, examples of this, you can be sure that more often than not, when a 
Melchim, Elohim, sorry, when a name of God, rather, is following the word for messengers, it's denoting a, um, a man just like Jacob's men. Now, um, as for the uh, heavenly messengers that we just read about, let's go back to them. So other than uh, Jacob seeing them, right, there, we don't really have much else to go on on this uh, encounter other than when Jacob sees them, he's so moved as to name that place Machanaim, which simply means two camps or two groups. It's also quite prophetic and uh, interesting to note, especially, that Jacob would again in the future become two camps, right? What are those camps that, I'll give you the first one, the camp of Ephraim, or kingdom, and Judah. Ephraim and Judah. That's when they they have that split there. Now, with that, let's go ahead and jump back into the text in verse 9. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the favor and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies, Machanaim. Save me, please, from the hand of my brother Esau. Excuse me. For I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will assuredly make you prosper and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be counted. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a gift for his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he placed them in the care of his servants, every flock by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put space between the flocks. And he commanded the one in the front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? And to whom these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob, a gift sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is right behind us. And then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the flocks, saying, In this way you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant uh, Jacob is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the gift that goes in front of me. Then afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the gift passed on ahead of him while he himself uh, spent that night in the camp. Then he got up that same night and took his two wives, his two female slaves, and his eleven children, and crossed the shallow place of the Yavok, the Jabbok. Then he took them and sent across that stream, uh, sent them across that stream, and sent across whatever he had. So let's go ahead and take a moment here to smell the roses again, okay? Now, where, where is Jacob? Well, geographically, he's at the Yabok, right? And it's this, this little stream. I think I have a picture, actually. Here we go. The Yabok. Um, so he's there. It's a little stream that pours into the Jordan around the east side. 
And uh, it's about halfway, maybe about midway between uh, the uh, Dead Sea and the Galilee. It's about midway. But that's not what we're going to focus on here. Rather, the, this is really cool. I'm going to share this with you. The name of that stream, the Yabok, literally translates to emptying, right? And could it be any coincidence that this re reflects Jacob's state, both physically, but more importantly, spiritually, as he's, as he's emptying? That's, I think that's so cool. Cannot be a coincidence. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, just thinking about a stream relaxes me. Um, does that relax you, Kenki? Thinking of a stream? No? No, not at all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's all right. It relaxes me, but I was about to say too bad because things are going to get so much more stressful for Jacob here in just a moment. Okay? But first, we're going to do a quick recap. So just do a quick recap. We're going to go here and say, okay, so Jacob, right, he gets word back that his brother is coming to meet him. Okay, well, he didn't shoot the messengers, so that's great, but he's also coming with 400 men, so I don't know. And also last time he saw him, he said that he was gonna kill him, so that's not good, okay? So Jacob says, okay, next course of action, what do I do? Okay, I'm gonna split up the group groups. And so he sends one group ahead with gifts, right? And it's almost like in waves, like second, first, second, third, right? And he sends them with the gift to hopefully appease his brother. You know, my bad. And the thing is about this gift, this is a gift. It's not just like a little like Walgreens gift card. This is serious. This is like 580 animals that we read here. And who knows if there's anything else? Now, I don't know about you. If you, if you bought 580 animals of any sort, that's, that's fit for a king right there. Like, I don't care if you're spending like, you know, buying 580 gerbils to send to him. That's a lot of money, okay? So hopefully that appeases him. And as he's sending them across, sending them to him, his family is taking to send them across and get them to safety just in case the first group is attacked, okay? And now it's gonna get even more stressful for him because he's gonna get jumped in the middle of the night by a man and fight for his life until sunrise. Now, if you had to take a wild guess as to whom Jacob might have suspected to be jumping him in the middle of the night, who would it be? It'd be Esau. Was it Esau? Well, let's double check that real quick, okay? Let's go ahead and get back to the text and, and take a look at what it says. Yeah, that lineup is incredibly short in his mind, I'm sure. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Yaakov, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named that place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the tendon of the hip, which is in the socket of the hip, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. 
and a tendon of the hip. That's a very hippie line right there. That's going to conclude our, our uh, reading here. Now, it, it, when we go back to verse 24, see, it says that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him, right? And the word here we would see in the Hebrew is each, right? Each being a man, isha being a woman. But each can also be used in different ways. This is like, I, we would put it uh, I-S-H. And it can mean man or husband. And very seldom does it mean mighty man. But nonetheless, he, he thinks that he's wrestling with this, this, this each, this man. And then somewhere during this WWE, you'd have off a smackdown, he realizes that this is no ordinary man. This is Elohim. Now, one thing to note here is that Jacob sees this, right? And he, he grasps onto him. Essentially what his name means, he grasps onto him, and he says that he will not let go until he is blessed. And he is blessed. Back in t- verse 24, we read that Jacob said to him, you, uh, rather, God said to Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God, right? You have wrestled with God. You have contended with God. Sechita in Elohim. But the fact that Elohim rewarded Jacob's perseverance by blessing him is actually acknowledged in the books of one of my favorite Mexican prophets, Hosea. Uh, but anyways, uh, let's go ahead and go to uh, Hosea chapter 12, and we'll take a look here at what it says about this, this topic. Chapter 12 of Hosea. So it reads, Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria, and the oil is brought to Egypt. The Lord also has a case uh, against Judah. Remember, we're talking about his Judah and Ephraim. And will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. Okay, take note. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his mature strength, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and implored his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. And the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord is his name, God. So like we were talking about earlier, Jacob has now been blessed with a new name to reflect his new destiny and nature. And an interesting thing about the name Israel is that its root word, Sarah, Sarah, literally means, translates to struggle, contend, or fight. And isn't that how it is in our lives as believers, this like constant tug of war, this constant battle within us between uh, wanting to to bend to God's ways and uh, not our own, right? To, To live in alignment with his will and not just ours, right? I wanted to share this quote with you from uh, Jonathan Lipnick. He's the Dean of the Holy Land Study. And he, t- he has an interesting take and um, a little bit of insight on the, uh, the name and the people, Israel. It reads, This scene of struggle between Jacob and the Lord is something that gets right to the heart of the unique relationship between the people of Israel and their God. It's not an active... It's not a passive relationship of blind obedience. Rather, it's an active relationship of struggle and confrontation and dialogue. 
And that gets right to the heart of what we see in each chapter of the Bible, as our biblical heroes from Abraham all the way through to Jesus are constantly questioning God and asking for clarification and even sometimes uh, approaching him in, in a very aggressive way. And I just wanted to share that with you because I think that um, you know, all too often um, in our lives as believers, we, we can sometimes get caught up in the, uh, the busyness of life, right? And with that, we, we can tend to neglect our relationship with God and our reliance on him. Now, after we declare our Yeshua as king uh, and give control to him, right, over to him, really like a Jesus take the wheel moment, God says that we are his beloved and a new creation in him, right? Now, does this mean that we will never stumble again or, or make mistakes? No. And unfortunately, it's that way at, at this very moment. But even now, after this, we've received this you know, wonderful gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit, sin is still in our flesh. And we'll still battle this sin until Yeshua comes back. Now, really, it, what is the, it's the old nature trying to take you back from the new. And what we must do is um, cry out for God. I mean, really do what, what Jacob did. Cry out for God. Say, Lord, please help me in this, because I can't do it without you. Now, James 4 says, come near to the, the Father, and he will come near to you. Amen? So I have three words of advice. Keep him close. Okay? Keep him right there. Now, as we keep reading Genesis, we're going to see uh, Jacob's name. He'll switch back and forth between the texts. It's very interesting. Jacob is Israel. Jacob, Israel, right? And we'll see this, and then in uh, Genesis 35, uh, God will actually remind Jacob of his name once again. Now, I also want to leave you with uh, another insightful quote that I found earlier this week uh, that pertains to this lesson. It's by a, a writer named, uh, named Melanie Campbell. She wrote, Many people know about God, but never have a true, life-changing encounter with Him. Knowing what God has done for others isn't the same as understanding what He has done for you. God cares less about how successfully we appear to be living a righteous life, and much more about the condition of our hearts. The only way to have a relationship with God is to spend time with Him. Right? It's just like a marriage. Reading the Bible, praying, and worshiping with our, our hearts and our minds fully focused on God brings us to a closer, more intimate relationship with Him. I really like that. Now, the story of mankind is cyclical, is it not? You just keep on falling into the same pit over and over and over. And, you know, we're only in the 32nd chapter of the Bible, and we've already seen these people who have witnessed firsthand proof of God's mercy and they've had you know, very spiritual profound spiritual experiences and revelations yet what happens they, they still doubt still lose patience and they try to forcefully obtain the blessings that God has promised them it's almost like calling God a liar well essentially it's calling God a liar when you do that because you're saying hey you know it should have been here at 2 o'clock and then you, you go and you're like you know that's not how it works because sometimes the blessings that God's promised us, they don't come in our lifetime. Many do, but some won't. Right? Remember Abraham and, again, Jacob. So what happens here, what we really read today is that Jacob 
was finally confronted with the fear and the guilt from what he had done to his brother 20 years ago. And now, things were out of his control and it frightened him. It could only be by an act of God that Esau's heart would change towards him. And he knew this. He knew that he couldn't change Esau's heart. So he, he prayed to the Father. I think that oftentimes, especially for the uh, determined, uh, very self-sufficient, uh, self-reliant kind, uh, it takes a great shock, really, and a great process of crushing to get them, get me, us, to a place of humility, right? And what happens when we get to this place of humility, it allows us to finally be able to look up and to see that we need God and that we can't do it ourselves, right? And really, this is another way of putting it is hitting rock bottom. Many of us have to hit rock bottom. I know I did to finally submit and, and realize, okay, I can't do this by myself. I'm not getting out of here alive. He is the only way. It took, believe me, it took, and there's a lot of crying involved. I don't know if there was for you, but for me, there really, it really was. When our distractions and our pride and even our abilities, sometimes mentally or physically, are taken away, it puts us into a position to finally gain that perspective, again, in understanding that we need God. To, uh, in the words of Apollo Creed from uh, the Rocky Three movies, ding, ding, that begins our wrestling match with God when we've finally been just crushed. Now, after this wrestling match, we will in some way be left with a limp. Some way, be left with a limp. It's different for, for everyone. A thorn in the flesh to remind us of, of this encounter, really. And after receiving this limp, yes, we may stumble, but I believe that this limp allows us to take our time and to help us watch our step on this walk back to the Father. I also, I want to leave you with this. I want, to, I want you to keep in mind that Jacob... He didn't know who he was wrestling with at first, okay? And I think oftentimes in our lives, we may think that we're wrestling with or we're dealing with like a situation, a person, or a circumstance, but really we're wrestling with God. So I want to go ahead and, and close in prayer and just pray that we, we all have the strength to keep on going and to, which is only from God, and to just hold on to him as Jacob did. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this, this Shabbat where we, we get to rest and we take, take just a day to just admire the wonderful things that you've done for us, Lord. Um, as we should throughout the whole week, especially today as we congregate, Lord, and we, we just speak with your word, Lord. I pray that, Lord, we, each of us, um, if we haven't already, that we wrestle with you soon, Lord. And I pray that our pride and our faults are pushed to the side, Lord, and that we, we are just embracing your love and forgiveness, Lord, and that we know and we understand that we cannot do this ourselves, Lord, that you are the only one that can change hearts, just like Jacob um, praying for Esau, Lord. We, we just pray for all the different situations and dynamics that are going on in the world right now within our personal lives and smaller group, Lord. And we pray that you just bless them and that we continue to be great ambassadors, Lord, of your kingdom and to show love to those that may not be able to show love back to us, Lord. And I pray that 
you change their hearts, Lord. That we, we, we are blessed with being able to see that, whether it's family, co-workers, or just someone that we, we a neighbor maybe. Lord, I, I pray that you continue to change hearts, Lord, including our hearts. We thank you, Lord, so much. Yeshua is holy, blessed name. Amen. Amen. Now, this will uh, conclude until next week, where we'll finally see what happens when Jacob sees his brother after 20 years, accompanied by 400 men. All right, well, we'll go ahead and break for, for Kiddush here. I see some very hungry people. All right, if you'll stand with me, we'll, we'll start with the bread, or rather the uh, fruit of the vine. <laughs>